Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, herstory heroines, heroes, and everyone else in between. Welcome to the podcast where we're going to talk about some pretty badass women that you probably haven't heard of before because history is a dick and apparently doesn't like women. <laughs> we're here to change that. I'm Kelly. Oh, man, you're just like no holds Sassy. bar. History's a dick. <laughs> Especially to women of color, which is why we are celebrating our second week of Black History Yay. Month. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. I already said my name. You already you said your name. It. No, I, I heard no. you say it, and then I completely neglected you were just to like, say nope. my name. Yeah, no one cares who I am. It's fine. I care. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. We're very excited to talk about some badass babes. I am particularly excited about my woman because the entire time I was like, there's no way she can get more awesome. Oh my God, she did it. I'm really excited <laughs> about my woman too. Yeah, this is. I think this is going to be an upbeat episode. Yeah. Literally just got done talking with Kelly. Next week, my story may not be as upbeat. So I'm like, I'll try to find okay a really with that? good one. Yeah, because knowing our luck, you know, we, she's going to cover terrible a whole horrific story and then i'm gonna cover a horrific story and everyone's just gonna leave the episode feeling super bummed out and everyone's just gonna be like you know what i'm gonna skip that one you know what 93 sad. that's a skip i feel or sad 94. on my own i don't need your help okay <laughs> okay all right well i am uh starting us off with the wine today yeah. i'm very excited uh so this is some gnarly head Chardonnay. It's a California 2015. Ooh. And uh, we actually drank Gnarly Head when we did our crossover with Hashtag History. Yep. We were on their podcast, I think, for episode 40, where we covered medical maven Dorothea Dix, and they covered medical monstrosity Jane Topan, who murdered a bunch of people and was a total bitch. So we decided to revisit this brand on our own show because I really like the name. Because honestly, like if I'm having a real rough time, like the past two weeks, it's like you have a gnarly head. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like my hair right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was wearing headphones earlier, so I got like an alfalfa hair going on in the back. See, I like your hair. Kelly's still rocking that like supple, what was it? Soft, supple attack of like violet and dark yeah, just, current. I just got to uh, <laughs> redone. Yeah. It looks great. I Thank love you. it. The perks of being a blonde. This is why blondes have more other, fun. Other colors. <laughs> All right. Bold, sophisticated, with a hint of gnarly. Thanks. I feel like I, I should. I feel like they're talking about me. They are. I feel like I should do this in like a 90s, like California surfer yeah, that's accent. What I was that's like, what the fuck was that? That was half country, half surfer. It's because we had Texas Roadhouse for dinner, just like we said we were going yeah, to. Yeah, we did so it. now you're like, you're in the Southern frame of mind, but then you're think like talking about Southern California. Here's to the vines, brah, and to a life lived boldly, yeah? Yeah, that was pretty it's, good. That's terrible. All right. <laughs> so I want to point out, life lived boldly is in all caps. These heroic vines produce intense fruit flavors and deeply concentrated wine, matched only by the passions of the people who drink them. I don't know what this no, voice great. is. I, it, it's a committing, good surfer voice. Committing. 
Gnarly Head Chardonnay is fresh and vibrant with a spirit of adventure, delivering bright tropical pineapple, pear, and melon with all caps, clean citrus, and a touch of vanilla. Chill down and pair with grilled scallops, rotisserie chicken, or fresh mixed green salad. Hmm. Women should not drink wine. (laughs) I'm actually, I'm not a big Chardonnay person. Um, I didn't inherit my mother's love of Chardonnay. But I don't know, the, uh, the, like, pear and melon, like, that sounds really good. Well, let's see. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers to Black History Month and the amazing black women who are fucking killing it right now. Yes. Clank. Hmm. I actually really like that. It's a subtle shard. As I still taste that like kind of standard Chardonnay taste, and the, the more it sits on my tongue, the you know it's kind of swelling up. But I like it though. I do. It is. It's. It is summery and fruity and refreshing. It's not as dry as I thought it would be. Sick shard, brah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I've been watching. I've been watching uh, the show Letterkenny. And it takes place in Canada. And uh, a couple of the characters are hockey players. And they do like hockey, like they speak almost exclusively in hockey slang. And they kind of have that like surfer boy attitude. And and they do. And they they also have the hair. Yeah. So many hockey players have long hair under their helmets. One of the dudes literally has shoulder length blonde hair. (laughs) The grossest thing after a hockey game. I I dated a hockey player. And yeah, because he would... You know, after, like, he'd come out after the game, and his hair would be, like, soaking fucking wet because they sweat so much, and it smells bad because it was in a helmet, and so he'd be sitting next to me in the car and, like, put his head on my shoulder, and I'm just like, Dude, you need to get the fuck away Like, I love you, but you! You either need to shower, or you need to, like, we need to strap you to the roof, buddy. Right, yeah, no. Like, so, hockey players, yay, but after like maybe shower guys there's no shame in showering after the game well see that's the thing i don't i don't know at least if the rinks like we did we're at like i don't know if they didn't have like a full locker room or what because like none of the players shower oh that's actually an excellent point because when i was the manager of the girls hockey team i don't remember showers. i don't think they have showers i think it's just like a locker room what the fuck, guys? Yeah, Let on. hockey players be clean. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they don't have to marinate in their own body juices. Yeah. They already have to do that while they're playing. Yeah, guys, there's <laughs> there's actually a scene where all the du- all the hockey player dudes, they're on the ice and they all shit their pants. Don't ask me why. Just watch the show. I highly recommend. Okay. But I was like, honestly, they should all just play like that because where is it going to go? They're so tightly packed into their outfits it, if anything it's just going to get to their skates and it's not going to seep out chemical warfare boys like right. the other team won't want to take the puck from you because you're going to stink maybe that's why they're so gross right yeah maybe but if the other team's also really uh, why are we doing this why are we, we doing this so to ourselves oh anyway so kelly i'm going first you are i'm saying that very confidently yeah all right well today i'm covering someone i have actually been wanting to cover for a long time and i was debating on whether or not to simply because i feel she's a more well-known woman than we usually like to cover but i still feel like she is 
in our wheelhouse. I still feel like she's appropriate for us. Like, okay. if we've covered Ada Lovelace, who's also pretty well known, you know, I think right. we can cover this person. So today I'm covering Dr. Mae Jemison. I know who that is. Yes. And she's on your she's puzzle. on my puzzle. That's like I right saw next that to today. Emily. So Kelly got her uh, Women of Science puzzle from the Science Museum. Yeah. And Mae Jemison is on it. And who else have we covered on there? Ada Lovelace is on there. Grace Hopper is on there. Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind Franklin. Is that Katherine Johnson? Yep. No. Yep. Katherine Johnson's on there. Where is she? Oh, she's green. I see her. I, I was looking at the orange lady. This one? No. Yeah, up. That's Mae Jemison. She's like peach. She's like a burnt orange. Yeah, who well, maybe we'll have to cover. Covered her, yeah, I know. But yeah, so I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do it, especially for like Black History Month because she's like the epitome of Black excellence. Right? You know, well, we- and I feel like it's kind of hit or miss with like. I feel like it's if you're into that kind of stuff, you're gonna know who she is. But other yeah. than that, you might not. Yeah. So. Mae Jemison was born in Decatur, Alabama on October 17th, 1956, and she was the youngest of three to parents, Charlie and Dorothy, which I'm like, I love the name Dorothy. If I had, I never want to have children, but if I had like a twin boy and girl, Charlie and Dorothy, like how fucking precious. Her parents worked as a maintenance supervisor and an elementary school teacher, respectively. At some point, the family must have relocated to Chicago because her mother, Dorothy, was teaching math and English at the Ludwig von Beethoven Elementary School in Chicago. Very fancy. fancy. (laughs) Like, ooh, Dan Ludwig. (laughs) And I just want to say, like, so growing up, I always thought you were either good at math or good at English you could not be good at both it was like a personalities versus b personalities definitely good at both so the fact that Dorothy is doing both like is proof that she's a witch yeah straight up magic love her so even as a tot little tater tot May loved science and had dreams of becoming an astronaut and space travel at this time was a a fairly new thing and we didn't even make it to the moon until June of 1969 At the same time, a little-known show has a bit of a cult following called Star Trek was airing. (gasps) (laughs) Shout out to all you Trekkies. Just a tiny following. You know, some people are kind of into it. Yeah. Interestingly enough, it stopped airing in June of 1969, which was the the same month and year that the U.S. made it to the moon. And I'm like, what did they, were they just like, we don't need you anymore. We made it to the moon. Right. (laughs) It's funny because as popular as Star Trek has become, and especially how revered the original series is, it did not, like, it was, like, canceled a few networks. It was very much, like... Like a lot of other shows, actually, like if you look at like Firefly or shows like that, like I was just gonna say, Firefly of its time, they didn't do well in their time, and then yeah, they developed like a cult following after Veronica Mars was the same way. Like a lot of people did like it when it was on the air, but a lot of people found it after it was already off the air. Arrested Development didn't become a big deal until it was released on DVD. Honestly, that show is so far ahead of its time because of the running jokes and how long something will take to build up. It was made for streaming and it did not get that. So the show featured a black woman crew member, Lieutenant Uhura, uh, played by goddamn yeah. legend Nichelle Nichols. Yes. And seeing a black woman engaging in space travel, even if it was on a fictionalized show, inspired May. And seeing her in a position of power, like... Yeah, Uhura was a boss. They talk about the red shirts always getting killed. She wore a red dress and she made it because she's like, bitches, try me. Right. I will take you 
out. Yeah. And in 2018, actually, May had the opportunity to interview Nichelle Nichols and said, quote, I used to get pissed off, Nichelle, when you weren't put in charge. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and like there's a there was an article from the the Guardian in San Francisco that I had to like pay to get access to. So I only got like a little snippet. Couldn't read the of whole course. thing. Support your local journalism and all that. But I that line just fucking slayed me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Fun herstory crossover. Fun fact, Nichelle Nichols almost quit Star Trek because she feel, felt like it wasn't really going anywhere. But then another, you know, maybe you've heard of him kind of guy, Martin Luther King fucking Jr. told her how important her role was to black representation on TV. So she Aww. stayed on. And actually, I went to... um a comic-con back when that was a thing and it was a really small one in minneapolis and nichelle nichols there was signing stuff that's amazing and i'm forever pissed at myself for not going and getting an autograph but i was so nervous i was like this is nichelle fucking nichols you don't just go up and talk to her like i was i was so intimidated and i was i'm really mad at myself but i was like what do i even say because i don't like star trek but i acknowledge that she's a herstory hero i'm like how do i say i've never seen an episode of star trek but like you're fucking amazing (laughs) so shout out nichelle yeah So the lack of women and people of color during the Apollo missions wasn't lost on May. Uh, She later said, quote, everybody was thrilled about space, but I remember being really, really irritated that there were no women astronauts. And I read that and I'm like, May's definitely holding back because before she's like, I was fucking pissed. And now she's like, I was just really irritated. Right. She's like, I got to tone it down. She's like, I'm trying to be professional, but Jesus, guys. (laughs) So May's parents encouraged her interest in science, but her teachers, not so much. Of course not. As early as kindergarten, so when she's like five years old, she told her teacher that she wanted to be a scientist. And the teacher was like, oh, you mean a nurse? Which here's the thing, nursing, honorable profession. Right. But the fact that a girl is interested in pursuing science or medicine. And it's like, but you want to do this other thing? Oh, you mean nurse. You're saying nurse, right? That's not how you don't. It's not scientist. You pronounce it nurse. Like, like the fact that that was the only option. People. That was the only option yeah, if you that's... were a girl and interested in anything remotely related to science yeah. or medicine. <laughs> I'm just imagining like little May being like doing the slow blink and being like, no, no, this isn't happening. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> and so here's the thing, guys. I don't care what a five-year-old says they want to be when they grow up. I don't care if they want to be the mayor of fucking Candyland. You encourage that shit. Right? It Who knows matter. what they're going to do when they become an adult? Most people, 90% of people, I would almost argue 99% of people do not become or do the job they want to do when they're five. So what is the harm in encouraging right? it? Also, I want to take this opportunity to announce my candidacy for mayor of Candyland. I will be the first female mayor of Candyland, and I will bring peace to the chocolates and the sweets. Too long we've been divided on sweet versus savory. Isn't that who the bad guy is in Candyland? Yeah, the the licorice ass. He's black licorice, which like... Which is fantastic. Here's the thing. I love black licorice. I hate hate black licorice. I hate black jelly beans. It's garbage. So I like like someone like me was making that game. They're like, fuck this shit. It's actually super common. Like, I don't know the statistics, but a lot of people don't like black licorice. Yeah. The funny thing is, I don't like regular licorice, but I love black licorice and black jelly beans. 
Everyone, let's give a warm, heartfelt goodbye to <laughs> Kelly, my former co-host who hates licorice. Regular licorice? Yeah, I leave it for the rest of the people in the world. Okay, well, your sacrifice is noted and appreciated. Welcome back! <laughs> So May must have been the absolute coolest kid around, because in addition to her passion for science, she studied ballet at eight years old. She entered high school when she was only 12 and joined the cheerleading team and the modern dance club. She she became proficient in African and Japanese styles of dance and jazz and, of course, ballet. I feel like I've done nothing with my life. Oh, yeah. By the time she's 16, like she's doing all this. I could live 100 years and I will still have done nothing compared to like 12-year-old Mae Jemison. Sorry, Dr. Mae Jemison. That shit's still coming. So at 14, she was a background dancer in a staging of West Side Story, though she had auditioned to be Maria, the lead. Of course. So I don't know if it was like a school thing or if it was like a, a town or city thing, because I'm like, well, maybe she was too young or was there a racial component? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's probably or a maybe little, she's maybe a 14. little bit of everything. I don't know. Yeah. So let's recap. She's a science genius, dance queen, and straight up magical person. But wait, there's more. Yes. God, please don't let this be another one of those episodes. (laughs) They hurt so bad. In 1973, when she was only 16 years old, May graduated from high school and was admitted to Stanford University. For anyone who doesn't know, Stanford is like one of the top universities in the country. It's like Stanford, Harvard, Brown, um, Yale. Yale. It's the Cornell is up there. Yeah. I think technically Cornell is considered a baby Ivy, but baby Ivy. (laughs) That's like, that's what they call the, our junior Ivy. Oh, that's what it's called. That's cute. So May left home to pursue her education, but she was bound and determined. No, it totally is baby Ivy. (laughs) Like, like Like Vassar is considered a baby Ivy. That, that makes me think of poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. And that's what they call their, their baby. I baby Ivy. Yeah. So uh, she described herself as, quote, naive and stubborn enough. Because, like, I know when we're 16, we all want to get the fuck out of our parents' houses. But, like, to go to an elite university and pursue your education at 16 years old away from your family, like, that takes guts. Now, you'd think she has made it. She's at Stanford and is ready to drink up knowledge and mingle with fellow overachieving magic people. But unfortunately, racism ruins the party again. She was one of only a handful of black students and faced discriminations. I almost said discriminations. Actually, I did, and I tried to stop myself, and I skid into saying it wrong. <laughs> I love you. It, was, it doesn't need to be pluralized. She faced discrimination from her classmates and professors. May credits her perseverance to her youthful arrogance and says that women and minorities need a level of arrogance to be successful in a society that was not built for them. And I'm like, mm. yeah. I mean... Like, okay, think about the pay gap between men and women. Part of that is that women do not ask for more. Like, we're conditioned to be happy with what's handed to us. You're not supposed to, like... And to undervalue our own skills. You're not supposed to, like... Uh, barter for a pay raise. Yeah. You're just supposed to accept whatever they give you. Yeah, and part and that's part of why there is a gender pay gap. That's not all of it. It's a complicated issue. Yeah, but. but... So it, it does take some arrogance to demand more than you're offered. 
And sometimes that arrogance can be very useful, but women are always taught to, you know, stay in line, you know, be passive, take care of everyone else. Your needs are not as important. So I I think that's so smart. And even people of color who are kind of conditioned or told by society, no, you're lesser. You should be very happy for what you've got. And it's like, no, 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 no. I will demand what I deserve and what I want. Yeah. So May kept up with her extracurriculars at Stanford, acting as head of the Black Students' Union and choreographing a musical dance production called Out of the Shadows. Heck yeah. It definitely was not that Johnny Depp movie, though. Well, was that Out of the Shadows? It was, it was based shadows. off of that. It was based off of that um, old soap opera that no one remembered and no one gave a shit about. And someone was like, let's make it a movie. So as May approached dark graduation, shadows. dark shadows. Thank you. So as May approached graduation, she faced a fork in the road. Would she pursue medical school or a career as a professional dancer? She also considered applying to NASA. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, I love May. I love her so much. And like, God, I wish my problems involved how to utilize my insane potential. Like, oh, what problems to have. (laughs) So May graduated from Stanford in 1977 with her Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering and a Bachelor of Arts in African and African-American Studies. Yes, this chick double fucking majored at Stanford when she's a teenager. Yeah, she was 16 (laughs) when she got accepted. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to do two. Oh, and then her extracurriculars. Like, dude, I couldn't handle that load in high school. So May decided to pursue medicine and enrolled in Cornell Medical School. Then she got a job at a failing paper company where she wouldn't let anyone forget that she went to fucking Cornell. She liked to describe herself as uh, the dog. Or what does Andy call himself? Nardog. Nardog. Nardog, yeah. yep. No, she, she didn't do that, guys. It's the office. Get over it. <laughs> her medical studies took her to Cuba, Thailand, Cambodia, and East Africa. Oh, so she did. She's been all over. She did a ton of humanitarian work, which included working in a refugee camp and with the flying doctors, which is kind of like Doctors Without say, Borders. Similar. Yeah. So they take like volunteer medical staff and professionals to provide medical services in needed areas. May also found time to continue studying dance because she can literally do it all. Right. She's like, you know what? I'm, I'm traveling to all these countries, but I also want to dance. Yeah. She's like, pitter patter. Let's get at her. She graduated with her medical degree in 1981 and began interning at a Los Angeles County USC medical center uh, and worked as a general practitioner. But May didn't forget her humanitarian work and joined the Ooh. Peace Corps in 1983 Jeez. and even served as a medical officer until 1985. So like... What, two years after she graduates from medical school, she gets in like gets a job and she's like, nah, I'm gonna keep helping people who really fucking need it. Jeez, that's amazing. So this work with the Peace Corps took her to Liberia and Sierra Leone, where she supervised health volunteers, the pharmacy, lab, and medical staff, all while providing medical care herself. She also wrote self-care manuals and created guidelines to improve health and safety. So like Hey, even if we're not here, like, you know, let's keep these policies going and make sure everyone's providing effective and healthy care. Also, in a crazy relevant turn, she worked with the Centers of Disease Control or the CDC where she did vaccine research. Any vaccine. This just doing everything. If she gives the thumbs up on any vaccine, I'm going to be like, all right, let's do this. Stick it in me. I trust you. <laughs> right. Now, all of this alone 
is enough to warrant covering May on this show. But we haven't even gotten to what may be considered the magnum opus of her career. (laughs) To get there, we have to blast off. Damn right I said it. That was amazing. That, like... Sometimes your puns are terrible, but that was actually amazing, and I love you. I even did a hand motion. Yeah, she did. Like, it was beautiful. Uh, I'm channeling her I'm dance. Like, flare. <laughs> Tear in my eye over here. Oh, it's beautiful. So after her time in the Peace Corps, May returned to the U.S. and settled in L.A. Uh, she entered into private practice, but this mild-mannered doctor by day was an energetic engineering grad student by night. By this time, Sally Ride, the first American woman in space, and... Uh, Guillaume Bluford, the first African-American in space, had made their historic flights. If you want to hear about the first woman in space, check out episode two. Yes, all the way back there where Kelly covers Valentina Tereshkova, which is the most fun name to say once you learn how to say it. I absolutely love that name. And I did practice yes. for quite a bit. <laughs> so May was more energized than ever to pursue her childhood dream of slipping the surly bonds of Earth. Yeah. We should have been drinking some surly for this if I we liked beer. Have. I don't like beer, though. Ah, it sucks, man. In October of 1985, May applied to NASA's astronaut training program. However, just a short time later, on January 28, 1986, so like just a few months later... The Challenger disaster occurred, killing all seven crew members before they even left the atmosphere. And for anyone uh, who's not familiar, like, this event traumatized the nation. Kelly and I were not alive. We were alive for the Columbia disaster. Yeah, we were. But I remember learning about this in school. I've watched the... Mm -hmm. Like, it always fucks me up. So... The Challenger disaster occurred on January 28, 1986. Guess when I was writing this paragraph? January 28th. And I didn't even realize it until the next day because I don't know what day it is. Yeah, right. And so it was the next day I saw a post about it. I was like, oh, my God, I was crying about the Challenger on the anniversary and I didn't even know it. So notably, Kismet. yeah, no, it was sometimes like the weird historical threads running through this stuff gives me the heebie-jeebies. Right, I know. So notably, the Challenger was meant to take the first civilian, school teacher Krista McAuliffe, into space. This was meant to help promote public interest in NASA's space program yep. because uh, things had kind of wavered since we landed on the moon. Everyone's like, well, we made it. it was we don't care. Much like a look, we're sending this basically normal person yeah. into space. So because of this, the launch was being broadcast live nationally, including in schools. Krista's students were watching as the shuttle exploded. Like, it didn't even make it out of the atmosphere. Her parents were there in Florida at the launch, and they saw it all before their eyes. They're like, yeah, it's so fucking awful. This tragedy traumatized the nation, and NASA postponed accepting new candidates into the astronaut training program. In 1987, a year after the Challenger disaster, May reapplied and was one of 15 people chosen out of over 2,000 applicants. Can you imagine? Okay, so so think of those 2,000 people. And let's assume none of them are, like, messing around, like, oh, I'm going to play Right, NASA. exactly. I'm sure it's, like, hard enough where someone's not just, like, filling out an app and emailing it, you know? But let's imagine, these are 2,000 people who want to and think they have the capabilities to go into space. They have got to be some pretty stellar people. And even out of those 2,000, only 
15 are yeah, deemed worthy. That's insane. Like we talk about the peaks of humanity and performance and intelligence. And it's like you get everything in one with astronauts because it's it's your intelligence. It's your capabilities. It's your physicality and like what you, it's like truly yeah. astronauts are like the peak of human perfection. I mean, they're supposed Except to be. Except for yeah. that one who like terrorized her girlfriend from space. To... Yeah, we don't talk that about That was her. fucked up. Yeah, that was fucked up. But I mean, out of all the people we've sent into space, well, we've had like one serious crime. <laughs> so her class uh, was NASA astronaut group number 12 and was the first new selection of astronaut trainees since the Challenger disaster. This made May the first black woman to join the astronaut training program. And this didn't escape attention and May received extensive press coverage. Some coverage focused on how fucking amazing she was and mm-hmm. some focused on, on the her. Fact that she was black. Her relationship status, actually. Oh, God. She was featured on the, it was a TV special called Best Catches. It was so forgettable. It doesn't even have its own wiki page. Was she, cause, was she single? She was single. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I never saw anything about a husband. I'm like, this isn't about him. So I didn't look it up. Yeah. But she was named one of the nation's most eligible singles. And the only saving grace for this special is that Felicia Brashad was one of the co-hosts. <laughs> and she's pretty fucking cool. So, but. Seriously, like, fuck right off with that. This lady is going into space and you're like, and she's single. Like, fuck off. That's terrible. So during her training at the Kennedy Space Center, May became proficient in shuttle software, the Shuttle Avionics Integration Laboratory, and a bunch of other super impressive sounding things. Finally, on September 28th, 1989, so this is 20 years after we went to the moon, May was chosen to be the mission specialist number four for the STS-47 mission. And this would be NASA's 50th space shuttle mission and was a cooperative mission between the U.S. and Japan. The goal of the mission was to conduct life and material science experiments. And don't ask me what that means. Just accept it. Let it wash over you. The mission team was made up of an international crew, which included several firsts, actually. So first off, payload specialist Mamoru Mohiri became the first Japanese person in space. Yay. Yay, him. Mission specialist number one, Mark C. Lee, and mission specialist number three, Nancy Jan Davis, became the first married couple to fly into space together. And this was not... This was very much against NASA's policy. Oh, yeah. It, they, they're like, we're not sending two people who might not come back that are, like, married and maybe have, uh, like, children or, like, we're not doing that. But I, I don't know the story behind that, but I thought that was kind of cool. I'm like, can you imagine, like, smooching in space or, like, renewing your vows in space? I don't know. That would be cute. I'm sure they're that consummate professionals. I'm not, you know, implying so, yeah. anything weird, but. And, of course... Number three, Mae Jemison became the first African-American woman in space. On September 12, 1992, the crew blasted off on the space shuttle Endeavor for the eight-day mission. During the mission, May, forever the Star Trek nerd, began all of her communications by saying, hailing frequencies open. I love her. I love her. (laughs) May also took a few home comforts with her into space, including a poster from the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, a West African statuette, and a photo of Bessie Coleman, who Kelly covered back in episode 73. And I I don't think that was for that was not for Black History Month. That was that was just for a regular episode. 
Because like we said, we don't just cover black women during Black History Month. So Bessie was a famous aviation pilot and the first African-American woman to earn an international pilot license. I think she would have maybe also been the first indigenous woman to earn an international pilot license because she was half, was it Cherokee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she was her, one of her parents was black and one of her parents was Cherokee, which I thought was cool. Like, I think it was Cherokee. We'll just go with indigenous. Yeah. Now I'm like, maybe it wasn't. Maybe we're making this up and we're being super awful right now. Okay. Cherokee sounds right. Pause. Go listen to episode 73. All right, now you can enjoy the rest of the episode with the proper amount of outrage. (laughs) So I had a hard time understanding all of the experiments they were doing up in space because it's a lot. Um, But this one needs to be mentioned because it made me LOL in real life. May participated in an experiment where she induced female frogs to ovulate, fertilized the eggs, and then monitored the tadpoles to see how they developed in zero gravity. Like, I'm sure there are so many reasons to get frogs pregnant in space, okay? But this sounds like something you come up when you're super stoned. You're like, guys. This would be so funny. How to tad, like, okay. Tadpoles live in water and they can, like, move in all directions. So, like, how do they develop in zero gravity where they really can move in all directions? Like... What's up with that, man? Like, that sounds like a stoner idea. And I am here for it. Right? I'm like, can we just have a bunch of stoners submit fun science experiments to To do in space and, like, just see what percentage of them are actually good ideas? Because I feel like it's going to be surprising. I feel like, yeah, I feel like there would actually be a few, like, it might be like, hey, the base idea is good. We just need to tweak it. Yeah, exactly. So in total, May logged 190 hours, 20 minutes and 23 seconds in space and orbited the Earth 127 times. That's a lot for eight days. Like, I guess. Yeah, that is a lot for eight days. But it just seemed like when you hear eight days, it doesn't seem like that long. But then when you hear it broken down that way, it's like, oh, God. So after the crew safely made it back to Earth, May resigned from NASA in March of 1993 to the disappointment of NASA's training manager. He was like, shit. Just really good up there with those frogs. Right? He's like, damn it, why? They got why? so pregnant. Right? <laughs> but May wasn't done. She ha- she has only continued to be a goddamn legend. So literally, the rest of the story is going to be a bitching bullet list because she has done so freaking much. So much that we would be here for like days. Yeah, yeah. She served on the board of directors of the World Sickle Cell Foundation. She founded a consulting firm that addresses the sociocultural impact of technology. And at first I was like, what does that even mean? But then I'm thinking about how like facial recognition software doesn't see black people. And I'm like, yeah, if there's not a lot of diversity in the people who are making the technology, how can they make it for everyone? And I'm sure there are other socioeconomic issues in creating and distributing technology and like making sure we're creating the right technology i'm like i'm sure it gets really complicated i would love to learn more about that that sounds it sounds fascinating doesn't it she founded the dorothy jemison foundation for excellence named after her mom yay ma'ams through that foundation she created a science camp for kids ages 12 to 16 called the earth we share May worked as a professor of environmental studies at Dartmouth College and directed the Jemison Institute for Advancing Technology in Developing Countries. Wow. Gotta take a breath after that one. 
She's a member of a crap ton of scientific organizations, and that's all I'll say about it. Too many to list. In 2012, May bid for and won the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agencies, or DARPA's, a hundred year starship project. I I heard I saw DARPA and there was no like explanation of what that was, so I had to Google it. And I'm like, no wonder they call it DARPA. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Like that's yeah, it's just it, it doesn't roll off the tongue very you well. You need to workshop that for like 10 more minutes. You would have gotten there. So the goal of the study is to create a business plan to foster research and technology for interstellar travel within the next 100 years. So she's like running that shit. May is going to get us to interstellar travel. Fuck yeah. In collaboration with She's Bayer- like, I want to be the real Uhura. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm like, I Yeah. That is exactly it. And actually, it says that on your puzzle, it mentions the interstellar thing. In collaboration with Bayer Crop Science and the National 4-H Council may create an initiative called Science Matters, which encourages kids to pursue agricultural sciences. Which I thought was cute. Like she, like I couldn't find anything else about her being into ag, but I was like, no, she's like all science, right. all science for all the kids because <laughs> any science, no five year old should be like, you mean nurse? No one, right. no one should hear no. that. No five year old should hear that. You get a science, and you get a science, you and you get, get a, a science. science. You get. She's the Oprah of, of science. science. Yes. Oh my God. She's written a bunch of books, including a children's book series called A True Book, and I guess in it, the readers are challenged to like answer questions and through reading and like kind of critical thinking they get to the answer i'm like God, that's cool can we get that for adults right, right now please so in honor of may's star trek fandom lavar burton who i fell in love with as the reading rainbow guy but he was also in star trek next generation asked her to be on the show in 1993 so may appeared as lieutenant palmer in the episode second chances and i'm yeah, like I need to go watch she's a fucking now. lieutenant like she's in charge she's well, doing and it first wasn't herself. uhura an attendant yeah she was lieutenant uhura. uhura yeah exactly i thought that was so sweet uh, because May still loves to dance, she built a dance studio in her own home has continued to produce shows. Like, she's still doing all of these things that she was yeah. into as a kid. It's amazing. In 1993, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. And a bunch of other... She's in the Space Hall of Fame, the Texas oh, Hall I'm of sure. Fame. She's in all the halls. All the halls. May, as a true history hero, also has her own stamp. Hey, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a newer histor- historical collection that you can start. In 2017, Lego released the Women of NASA set featuring May, along with Margaret Hamilton, who you probably know from the pictures of her standing next to the handwritten code that's taller than her. Yeah. Uh, Sally Ride, who is the first American woman in space, and I believe the first uh, known LGBTQ astronaut. Uh, and Nancy Grace Roman. And actually, we saw the little Margaret Hamilton Legos when we went to the Science Museum. Yep. It was literally hidden within and like behind exhibit glass. Yeah, it was really cool. For a completely unreal. It was with the dinosaurs, you guys. Yeah, but it had like a little plaque saying like Margaret who it Hamilton. Because yeah. I was like, oh, that kind of looks like, oh my God. And it's her next yep. to the books. And I think it was cool. Follow us on Instagram because I definitely posted the picture. And then I started running around like, are there more historical Legos? So you guys, this is 
barely the tip of the iceberg. May has won a ton of awards. She's in all the halls of fame and has a whole mess of honorary doctorates. And it's just straight up the embodiment of can't stop, won't stop. And I doesn't want to stop. Yeah, she will not. Unfortunately, though, again, racism rears its ugly head. May was a victim of police brutality. She was pulled over for taking an alleged illegal U-turn. And the off, apparently she had gotten a speeding ticket in the past that she thought she had paid. And the officer's like, there's an outstanding warrant for your speeding ticket. And she's like, oh, what? And the officer handled her very roughly when he arrested her and they let her say, like, it was not a good time. Yeah. I didn't want to make it a huge part of the story because obviously this is just like her being amazing. But I just want to point out after all of this amazingness, even she was a victim of police brutality. It oh, doesn't yeah. matter it's- who you are. And she, the the officer was cleared of any wrongdoing by the police department, which I'm like, mm. uh, but she did sue them for, you know, harassment yeah. and, you know, improper treatment and rough treatment. She actually had to go to the hospital because they, he like twisted her wrist so badly. And I didn't see how that turned out, but hopefully she got some justice. Because that's fucking bullshit. So I want to end this with a quote from May. And this was actually, she was featured in the Google Doodle for um, International Women's Day. International Day of the Woman. I think maybe in 2008. And this is the quote they had with it. Never be limited by other people's limited imaginations. And that is the story of Dr. May Jemison, Star Trek nerd turned astronaut. That was amazing. I also want to point out. I just want to like end the episode there and be like, we're done. Yeah. But I, I want to point out she had a fear of heights as a kid. Oh. And she went into fucking space. I forgot to put it in my notes, but at the top, I have it listed as the astronaut who was afraid of heights, which I think is amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, clearly she she must have overcome that. Yeah, but you kind of have to. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe not. I feel like it's a like, little different. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's. I don't know. I guess, I, yeah, I would assume it's different because, like, when you're in outer space, it's not like, oh, God, if I fall out of the space shuttle, I'm going to, like, plunge to my death. It's like, no, I'm going to be stuck floating in space. But something else I think is death. really amazing is that, you know, she she applies for the NASA space training program months before the Challenger disaster right. and then is still like, I'm going to do it because I can't imagine like how turned off people would have been from space travel and because I mean that that truly traumatized the nation it was it was so heartbreaking and she's like no I'm still gonna do this knowing that you might not even make it up there and you might not come back right and there there was another quote I don't have it written down but she she said something along the lines of not everyone wants to go there there being space but everyone wants to know what it feels like and I'm like that's me. I don't want to fucking go. But how cool would it be to be one of the few people on the face of the planet that has been in space? Like, I mean, that feeling has to be unlike anything else. Yeah. And I'm so glad I didn't have to end the story with, and then she died. Like, she's still alive. She's doing speaking tours. Like, she she's out there. I think she has a Twitter. So, yeah. I love May. She's amazing. And I'm glad I, I, I'm glad I covered her because I knew she was the first African-American woman in space. I didn't know any of this other stuff about her being like an advocate, about her philanthropic work, you know, being a doctor, 
how she's a straight up genius. It was super cool. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So Kelly, who are you whining about today? I don't know. Like I like I like just don't want to. Do like... you not have notes? No, I do. <laughs> no, I mean like I just feel like that was so amazing that I'm like no matter who I cover, it's just gonna be like meh. No, I'm covering Sister Rosetta Tharp. Ooh, is this a nun? No, mm, no musician. Ah, I've heard of her. There's a great um drunk history episode, and she's played by Donna from Parks and Rec, oh, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> That would be amazing. But I don't know a lot of her story, but I am very excited because I love her. Right. So she was born Rosetta Nubin or Nubbin. Not really sure. Nubbin. It doesn't say. I hope it's that. It it doesn't say. It doesn't have a pronunciation. So yeah, we'll go with with Nubbin. Yeah. Why not? So she was born March 20th, 1915. Ooh, that's very close to your birthday. birthday. She was born in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. That feels like a I, backwards. I like, didn't know that there was a town named Cotton Plant. Okay, first of all, that's fucking weird. You don't just call it Cotton. Right. But also, I feel like there might be some antebellum Civil War area influences in that name, and I'm not comfortable. Not here for that. <laughs> um, so her parents were Katie Bell and Willis, uh, who were cotton pickers. Not shocking. I don't think I'm making my uncomfortable feelings up. I think I'm entitled. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, you're no because yeah. they're living in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, in the South, which even in the '80s was not a super like welcoming place. And her parents were actual cotton pickers, and I I just feel like they're making this weird backhanded comment about this town and its origins, and I don't like it. <laughs> That's that's one thing that some people have said was that first thing I said. There are other researchers that say that her birth name was Rosetha Atkins or Atkinson with her mother being Katie Harper and her father kind of being unknown. Um, the story has Katie being a singer and a mandolin player, a missionary and a women's speaker. Can we bring the mandolin back? You know how the ukulele is kind of made a comeback? I want the mandolin. Really? Yeah, I think it's it's a cool little guitar. I want to see some dude in a minstrel outfit playing the mandolin start off really soft and then just start going like, and smash it. So so Katie being a singer is true. Like that that we know. Uh, and her being a mandolin player. So all of that is true. It's kind of the birth name that they're not really 100% sure. And the last name. Because it's either Katie Bell Nubbin or Katie Harper as her mom. And then either her, she was born either Rosetta Nubbin or Rosather Atkins or Atkins. Rosather. <laughs> yeah. That's a name that's prime for a comeback. Oh, yeah. So on top of being um, a mandolin player and a singer, she was also a woman's speaker for the Church of God in Christ, um, which is a black Pentecostal church pr- that particularly encouraged um, rhythmic musical expression and dancing in praise and song and like a lot of like gospel. You know, if you th- this is going to sound terrible, but if you think of like a ter- stereotypical black gospel church, that's kind of what this guy was like, or that's kind of what these churches A lot were of like. energy, a lot of movement, yes. a lot of song. They allowed women to sing and teach in church. Oh, that's great. Right? And so growing up, Rosetta was very much encouraged by her mother to sing and play guitar. They called her Little Rosetta Nubbin. Aww. I would just call her a little nubbin. And at the age of four, she was she was called the musical prodigy. Oh, because she was already singing and playing, and like 
She was just getting shit done. I love we have two child prodigies in one episode. This feels good. At the age of six, she was joining her mother as a regular performer um, in an evangelical troupe. So basically, her mom kind of went from the churches in their area to like traveling and bringing this music around the country. They literally took their show on the road. Yep. Uh, She was billed as a singing and guitar playing miracle. Yep. Um, She would often participate in the performances and be part of the sermon and gospel concert before audiences across the American South in particular, which is shocking for the mid-1920s. Yeah. Yeah. I I would think it wouldn't be a very uh, welcoming time. I mean, it's... it's People live there. It wasn't if, like and, an exclusively and if, and if white region. I was just saying, if they're visiting a lot of ex-slaves and like the communities that they set up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Rosetta and her mother would go on to sh- settle in Chicago, Illinois, like after they um, toured for a bit. Back to Chicago. Yep. They would go on to perform, you know, continue performing religious concerts and continue working particularly for the Church of God in Christ, which is the church her mom had originally worked for. They would occasionally travel to perform um, at like church gatherings throughout the country if they happened. During their time in Chicago, Rosette developed um, more fame as being this musical prodigy. It's it's like um wh- what's that what's that show like Kids Got Talent yeah where it's just a bunch of children who are more skilled than ninety percent exactly. of adults out there and you're like how. Yep. Um, she very much stood out in an era when black female guitarists were rare. And that that is particularly in the case when they called her a musical prodigy. Like, yeah, she sang, but like her guitar playing was incredible. At the age of 19, so fairly young, um, this is in 1934, she would ma- she would marry Thomas Thorpe. Sorry, I, I just noticed that she named, married Thomas Thorpe, but her name's Tharp. And I'm like, I, I'm trying to remember where in my notes that connected. Huh. He was a preacher at the church that her and her mom like worked at. And he of, he often would accompany her and her mother on their tour. So like sh- she's known him for a while. Mm-hmm. Their marriage would like, actually only last a few years. And she decided to adopt a version of her name, his name as her stage name. That's where it came up. Okay. It was, it was like... Did I mistype it? <laughs> like that's what I was thinking. <laughs> is in this my head. a typo no. or is this on purpose? Yep. So she she kept Tharp, which is you know kind of a version of her husband's name. It reminds me of as uh, her stage name, which is Sister Rosetta Tharp. It reminds me of uh, Wangari Mathai, where she just added an A because her bastard ex husband yep. was like, I didn't want her head. She's name like, anymore. fine, I'm adding an extra A. Yeah, because it's gonna be longer than yours, you fucking size queen right. bitch. Um, so when she left her husband, her and her mother moved to New York. Yes, that that's the way they put it. She left her husband. So I'm like, good for her. Um, there we go. And she would go on to marry us several times, but she always kept the name Rosetta Tharp. Probably because she was performing. Yeah. It's but a that's pain the name in the she ass. would keep for the rest of her life. Well, and it's like you think about it, like there's a lot of like female doctors and stuff that won't change their name when they get married because they're like, This is what my patients know me as. I have a I have a friend who, you know, her parents got married, the mother took the husband's name and they got a divorce. But the mother kept her married last name and the way my friend described it. So she she was a doctor, yeah, I, I believe. Yeah, it's just a pain in the and ass. And she was like, I, pr- I just printed up just a ton of business cards and it's going to be so expensive to get new ones. And I'm like... 
I actually, I actually heard somebody else say that once when I asked them about something. They were like, eh, it's just easier to keep the, you know, the other name. Yeah. And I mean, I guess if you're not on bad terms, like, well, I guess why does it matter? She already changed it. But then did you hear about, speaking of the Annabelle himself, so after George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. Yeah, and Lady Antebellum the... changed their name to Antebellum? No, just Lady, because Antebellum lady. is yeah, the, right. the part that is considered yeah. offensive. Unfortunately, so there, was a singer. there is already a black female performer named performing lady. under the name Lady, and yeah, they basically the whole thing. they basically told her to change her name, and she's like, she's like, I have been performing under this me? name, right? Yeah, she's like, it's not my fault. You guys chose a questionable name in the first place. You figure out. You're already changing your name. You do it, right? And she doesn't have you know the same money and star no. power that they're working with. Like, yeah, I remember fuck reading them. about that. I know. Oh, we're gonna change like, oh. her name because it's offensive to black people, and then we're gonna attack a black woman because she has the name we want, right? Fucking assholes. Yeah, exactly. I remember reading about that, and I was like, okay, guys, this is making you look real bad like, like just be like fine or change your name to lady a that's what you guys called yourself most of the time anyways yeah or no that's what it was they changed their name to lady a and that's what after no that's that? what that's what they were calling themselves and she was performing as lady a oh it wasn't just lady it was lady, yeah, it was lady a. a okay okay i'm sorry but yeah i'm like that just seems at re- least i think so maybe you're right that but just I, seems all but yeah like it's the just, point it, of the yeah, story it's still terrible holds. like i'm sorry like be the bigger person like Clearly, she's been recording under this name. Like, just fucking suck it up. Well, and here's the thing. It totally defeats the purpose of changing the name in the first place because, hey, that name is a tribute to the, you know, pre-Civil War South where we owned other human beings. Yeah, now they're just being a dick to another human being. Yeah. Who happens to be black? And that's why it's about, like, guys. guys, come on. So a few months after her and her mother moved to New York City, um, she be- she recorded for the first time. She recorded four sides for Decca Records, backed by Lucky M- Millinerds. M- oh my god, that's not Millinerds? right. Millinerds? Millinders. Millinders. Okay. So she was backed by Lucky Millinders Jazz Orchestra. So it's her and then this jazz orchestra. These these were gospel songs, and the the songs were "Rock Me," "That's All," "My Man and I," and "The Lonesome." road so those are the first four songs she recorded and they were huge she became an overnight success people just loved her and this was this was one of the first commercially successful gospel records like i they don't know what it was about her and her singing and guitar playing but people loved her even though it was gospel music like i wonder if there was a lot of female gospel singers with the guitar though that's true you know because you mentioned it wasn't very common for women to play guitar in the first place and now you have this woman who's had an amazing voice from the start is only had oodles of time and practice to get better and she has a guitar she's only 23 at this time yeah that's wild so uh rock me in particular uh went on to influence a lot of big names such as Elvis Presley, Little Richard, and Jerry Lee Lewis, which are, you know, a lot of the big male singers from that time yeah. frame. It went so far as uh, a music critic named Maury Orendenker would go on to describe it as its sister Rosetta Tharp for rock and roll spiritual singing. Like, that's just... They were like, yeah, she's the face of this, th- this movement, yeah. basically. She's uh, the mother. Mother of the movement. Right. She would sign a seven-year contract with Lucky uh, Millinder to, like, work with his... You know, anytime she recorded, she would work with his orchestra, which is kind of nice. You know, like, 
to know you have an orchestra. Yeah, and they, you know, you you get to know each other and you like working together, right? And so uh, one of the reasons people think that she was so popular popular is because it wasn't just gospel music. It was like a mixture of gospel music and like secular sounding music mixed with like rock and roll, basically. Like it was, you know, like because she played the guitar and then she was backed by a full jazz orchestra. And that's why they really think like people loved it is because like the secular audience could, you know, close in on it because they're like, yes, this is gospel. This is, you know, like but then like the modern audience or like people who weren't as religious could, you know, you know, because they're just like, oh, it's rock and roll. Like, this is great. You know what it makes me think of? There are a bunch of uh, like punk or alternative bands or artists I listened to in high school, even in college, where I didn't learn until years later that they're actually Christian rock groups. K was a uh, Christian Uh, rock group. uh, Apparently ICP was, which I still have a hard time (laughs) believing. Is Breaking Benjamin They have a few. I don't know if they're like 100% considered, but they they definitely have some songs that are in the the Christian rock section. There was this one album by, I keep wanting to say Rebecca Black, but that's the Friday Girl, and that's not what I'm thinking of. But basically, she had this really amazing song. It was God Help Me. It was like, God help me. I was like, this is my jam. I bought the album and I'm listening to it. And there's even a song where she's like, I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm like, I didn't realize until looking up later, oh, she's literally saying, like, talking to God. She's not saying, like, oh, God. Or it just, I'm I'm not a very religious person. So I still like the album, but kind of like... I, I had a hard I time getting that out of my head because yeah. yeah, I, I, I do I don't carry the faith with me <laughs> anymore. Right. But it's still like yeah, it's that combination of styles and that there's not one style to express a religious message or a religious exactly. feeling. And yeah, so she she's very much rocking that. She would go on to play with a group called the Jordanaires, which is a what was a male um, like quartet, kind of like a barbershop quartet. But like a gospel singer, so she would she would perform several times with them. Um, she would perform with Cab Calloway, who was a huge artist back then. He's a jazz singer, and he so he would play at the Cotton Club in Harlem, and so she played there with that with him, which was a huge deal. I mean, because Harlem was the place to be back. Yeah, then. that was the epicenter of black culture. Yep. Um, in 1838, in October, there was a concert called Spirituals to Swing, played at Carnegie Hall, and she was one of the headliners oh, of damn. that. Yep. Um, so that gained her, like, a ton more notoriety. And, you know, like, playing at Carnegie Hall, that's, like, something most musicians, like, that's, like, their goal. That's it. You, you have know? arrived. And so besides, after that, she kept performing her gospel music um, in nightclubs which is interesting. But yeah, like, so she would play in nightclubs and she would play alongside a lot of blues and jazz musicians. And I was saying that backwards because secular means you're not religious. I was, I was, I was going saying that to correct ba- I know, like, you, and, and then I, I was I like, was thinking about it and I'm like, that sounds wrong. So secular audiences liked her because it didn't necessarily sound religious and then um, religious people liked her because it was gospel So, music. guys, you can stop writing your email correcting us. We I got it. We figured it out on our own. Well, there, there's a line in King of the Hill where uh, 
Hank isn't happy with his church and my, my he wants to find a new one. Flip flop, and I was confused. But he doesn't like any of the churches he's going to. And Peggy has a line, line she's like, "What you just want to live is a bunch of non secular." Hu- I couldn't remember if she said secular or humanists or yeah. non secular humanists. So she would go on to play at a lot of secular nightclubs, which is you know kind of interesting because you know she is singing gospel music, but that isn't in testament that attests. Sorry. Yep. To how accessible her music is, regardless of the religious oh, yeah. influences. And not only was she performing gospel music at non-religious nightclubs, she was performing with blues and jazz musicians and dancers, which was relatively unheard of. She was starting to almost fall out of favor with the true gospel community because the fact that she was singing and dancing and it's this woman playing guitar you know, and it was frowned upon. And so like the kind of the bigger she got outside of the religious circles, the more they frowned upon her and the more like they started distancing themselves. It from almost her. makes me think of how Taylor Swift used to be like, she's country. She's country pop fusion. Now she's just pop. Yeah. Like um, and, and <laughs> country's not like all up for Taylor Swift exactly. anymore. Within five years, she was kind of considering rebuilding her act to just be strictly gospel. Like, kind of go back to her roots and just be like, okay, you know, I'm going to go back to the basics. You know, we'll stop all the fancy stuff. However, she was contractually obligated to perform what was known as more worldly material. You know, stuff everyone's going to like. And oh. that makes sense. If you're signed with a record label, you Mainstream. Know, they're, yeah. they're going to want you playing what's going to sell. Yeah, because they need to make money. You know, so even though she was kind of thinking about going back to gospel, she continued her nightclub performances. Um, She would still sing some of her gospel songs, but it was amid, you know, scantily clad dancing girls. And, you know, this just kind of caused her to be more shunned from the gospel community because they were like, you know, you're kind of given a mixed message here. Yeah. Which makes sense, you know. Uh, during this time, um, guitar skills and masculinity were very, very strongly linked. Like, you didn't see a lot of women playing guitars, and guitar skills were, like, known as a manly thing. Let's gender know? instruments, guys. Yep. By the way, spoiler, flutes are feminine? Yep. <laughs> the most uh, phallic instruments are all feminine, and the ones that look like women are masculine. Right? Um, and so she was off, often complimented by saying, oh, you can play like a man. Fuck right off with that. Right. And she actually would go on to demonstrate her guitar skills uh, at the Apollo during, like, she would have, like, guitar, like, go and have guitar battles with other guitar players, and she would do really, really well. And again, the, the Apollo, that's a huge name in music. Yeah. She did continue um, recording during World War II. Less, obviously, but she did. She would. Um, she was one of only two gospel artists actually available for troops overseas. What do you mean available? Like, like they got her records or? Like she was one of two gospel artists that like were allowed to have like record and have their stuff be sent to the troops. Okay. Okay. Like, so that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So one of the songs that she came up with like during, well, 1944, that's yeah, that's during world war II. Yes. Was called strange things happening every day. And she recorded it with Sammy Price, a pianist, and she alone played the guitar. And uh, it was the first gospel song to appear in the Billboard magazine's Harlem Hit Parade, which is kind of like was like their top 100, but for, you know, black musicians. Did I ever tell you the one time that my grandmother was talking about the movie The Pianist, but she did not emphasize the 
honest. So she was just saying like, oh, yeah, I saw The Penist. And uh, it was a really good movie. Yeah, The Penist. It's about the and and I'm sitting there. I remember this. I was in. I had just finished first grade, and we were having dinner on like the patio back. And I'm staring at my grandmother, like, "What are you saying?" I'm staring at my mom, who is also hearing what I am hearing, and she's trying not to laugh. And finally, I was like, "What are you saying?" Like, because of course I was a little kid. I hear, I think piano player. I didn't know there was a word for that. So my, I think my grandmother's talking about a movie, The Penis, <laughs> and being very right? casual about it. That's kind of funny. Like, I love that as a little kid, you're just like, no, this is fine. No, I, I was not fine. I was laughing my no, ass off. No, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you were like, this, you know, it was fine questioning your grandma kind of a yeah. thing. So today, the Harlem Hit Parade is known as the hot R&B slash hip hop songs. Like, that is what. Okay. So it's still around today, but yeah, it used to be known as the Harlem Hit Parade. And so she was one of, she was the first gospel song to appear on it. This record that she that strange things happening every day would be on it, um, has been called the first rock and roll record. Like a lot of people call her the grandmother of rock and roll, which is interesting because the king of rock and roll is always Elvis, and she, one of her songs but influenced that, Elvis. But the fact, yeah, so she was. Yeah, because Elvis was big around the 50s, mm-hmm. and this is still the 40s. Okay, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know why. I thought Elvis was around the same like the same I time. Mean, he, I think he was kind of started. This might be when he was doing his gospel singing, because yeah. Elvis also started in gospel music. He was Yeah, he was heavily influenced by like black culture and yep. gospel music and all that. So That's cool. Yep. So she would go on, obviously, after she recorded this record, to go on tours. Uh, she would be backed by various gospel quartets, because... Gospel quartets were very big during that time, including one a big one, which is the Dixie Hummingbirds, which is um, um, a black male quartet. That's who, cute. Um, they were huge, though. Like, I've never heard of them, but like I, I like kind of looked into it because I was like, who's that? And yeah, they they're huge. A few years later, like after when she was touring, this is 1946. So this is two years after her last record. Um, she saw Marine Knight perform at Mahalia Jackson concert in New York. Which Mahalia Jackson was a gospel singer in her own right, but this was, I don't know, they just called it the Mahalia Jackson concert, so I don't know if it was, like, in honor of her or if it was, if it like, was her concert and or... this person was the opener. Yeah, I don't know, but um, Marie Knight was also an American gospel and R&B singer as well. Tharp would recognize Knight's talent, and um, two weeks later, Rosetta showed up on her doorstep inviting her to go on tour with her. She's like, you know what? I I recognize the talent I see in you, and I want other people to see it, and I want you to come with me. Wait, so Rosetta went to her to and Marie was like, Knight and was like, I see this talent. Let's you take have. the shit on the you road. Know, I because love Because she's still that. touring, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so she brought her with. Um, they would go on to tour the gospel circuit for a number of years together. Um, and would record such hits together as Up Above My Head and Gospel Train. Some people, like, there was a lot of speculation about that uh, Marie and R- Rosetta had a romantic and sexual relationship. Both artists say that's just gossip, but back then it could just be to save face. So yeah. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but both of them deny it. So I'm probably going to say that they were just good friends touring. I, I was going to say it's one of those things where the last thing we want to do is erase LGBTQ people from history. But if the artists were denying it, I don't want to make us. I, I feel like we've done that in the past. But right, it, exactly. it sounds like they were pretty like, mm, no, they were like, no, you're just making yeah. this up. You're just really like two beautiful ladies being together and you got to knock exactly. it off. 
Um, so three years after they started touring together, their popularity kind of st- started taking a downturn. Okay, so Mahalia Jackson at this time was becoming really popular. So she w- obviously wasn't dead at that first concert, but I didn't. So I'm assuming it was, yeah, it was her concert and the other person maybe was the opening act. So, but Mahalia Jackson was becoming really big. She was starting to eclipse Rosetta in popularity and Marie was really wanting to start her own solo act. You know, she was like, I haven't really had my own solo act. I kind of just went into touring with you. And at the same time, while wanting to pursue a solo act, uh, Marie lost her children and mother in a house fire. Oh, no. So, you know, she, she both wanted to, you know, be a solo act and probably just needed some time. Yeah, what a nightmare. Oh my God. Right. Why did you do this to us? I know, I'm sorry. So Rosetta would go on after Marie kind of like went on her own. Uh, Rosetta went on and put on a concert in what is now known as the Altria Theater, which is in Richmond, Virginia, which is where Rosetta was living at the time. She'd been living there about a year. So, And this was her one year anniversary of, hey, I'm living in your town. I'm going to do a big performance for you kind of a thing, which is really cool. This time supporting her was a group known as the Twilight Singers, uh, another, you know, gospel quartet. And uh, Rosetta would actually go on to um, adopt them as her background singers, kind of from then forward, renaming them the Rosettes. Oh, that's cute. Right? They had, like, the cutest freaking band names back then. Like, the Dixie Hummingbirds. I know. The Twilight Saint, The Rosettes. Like, it was, everything was just precious. Right? So, by this time, she, uh, uh, Rosette. Rosetta was on her third marriage. I know I never mentioned the second one because it literally doesn't mention it anywhere. She was married like, and divorced the end. Exactly. Um, actually, didn't even say that. <laughs> um, but this time she was married, ma- marrying her manager, which I'm always a little. It makes you. It makes you go like, okay, this could either be great or this could be a billion right. shades of awful. Um, she let twenty five thousand paying customers come to her wedding. I okay. And, I just want to also gave a concert. I just want to say. So I don't know if it was she had a concert and then just decided to have her wedding at the <laughs> concert or if she was like, hey, I'm getting married and I'm going to throw a concert. She suddenly puts on a wedding dress and there's a priest and everyone's like, is this part of the show? Like, what's what's going on here? Is she going to sing the vows? Right. I will say, like, how enterprising to make money off of your own wedding. Most people spend the equivalent of a down payment on a house on their wedding. And she's like, I'm going to buy a mansion with this. That's funny. So she did that. And then she went, she recorded another gospel album in the the four years um, with a gospel, this time with the gospel quartet, the Harmonizing Four. This one was titled Gospel Train, which I love. And then she went on to book a tour in Britain. So she went and toured Europe as part of the Blues and Gospel Caravan alongside such names as Muddy Waters and Otis Spann, who are fairly well-known gospel, you know, gospel yeah. groups. Like that, it wasn't just those two. Those were the two I was like, oh yeah, I kind of recognize those Yeah, I, I usually um, do that too. If there's a big list of names, I'm like, I'm going to pick the ones I know because right? if I know them, everyone knows them. Rosetta was introduced on stage and accompanied by Cousin Joe Peasant. Like literally that was his name, Cousin Joe Peasant. It wasn't her cousin. <laughs> One of the concerts that she performed at during this time was actually recorded. It was, a uh, she was in the rain and it was at, uh, 
a disused railway station in Manchester. The band performed on like one platform while the the audience was seated at a different one. Like apparently, and apparently it's a really cool video. I didn't look it up, but apparently it's supposed to be pretty neat. That sounds so cool. Like like it that's sounds like what, a fun concert to go to. That's the kind of thing a bunch of like indie hipsters would go to. Yeah, there's gonna be this concert in the rain at this old train depot. Right? It's gonna be fucking sweet. Yeah. Unfortunately, her performances were curtailed in 1970 when she suffered a stroke. Oh, strokes um, are the worst. After which, unfortunately, one of her legs had to be amputated oh as a result God. of complications from di- the stroke and diabetes. Oh, shit. Three years later, on the eve of scheduling another, on the eve of recording another album, album I was like, Jesus Christ, what's <laughs> You're the throwing word? your hand. You're reaching for that word and it's not coming to you. <laughs> uh, she suffered another stroke and oh. died in philadelphia she's buried at the northwood cemetery there in philadelphia um how old was she let's see she died in 1973 so she would have been hold on math 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 because she's course, born in 1915 1915 yeah 93 no 58 jesus i was like there's no way she was 90 i added i added uh 40 years on there <laughs> She's 58. Oh, that's so young. It sounded like she was like, really, like, if anything, ramping up even more. Like she hadn't, I don't know. Like, like she hadn't even been on the downswing yet. Right. Uh, one of the sad, one of what I call the saddest things is she's listed among hundreds of other artists on the list of the New York Times magazine's um, list of, and this came out in 2019. But they 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 produced a list of artists who lost material uh, lost material in the two thousand eight fire at Universal, um, and she's among one of those that oh. lost a ton of uh, material. Like so, when, so they had the fire. what they had like records, yeah, and records music. and music and unreleased stuff, and they had a fire, and she's among hundreds of artists that lost stuff. Oh, that. Or we lost stuff, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's our loss, really. But, oh, why didn't they have it on digital yet? Um, I mean, she's known. She's still known today because yeah. um, she, she had a very unique guitar style that blended um, like urban blues with traditional folk music and incorporated this swing that's kind of like was the pre like I said they call her the grandmother of rock and roll because they like the swing and the stuff she did with her guitar was kind of like along those lines that um rock and roll has uh, a lot of musicians have come forward talking about like her influence on them, including Little Richard, who said the stomping, shouting gospel music performer uh, was his favorite singer when he was a child. Um, and she, what's what's amazing is she would go on to hear him sing, and uh, later he would invite her on stage to sing with him, which is what really, a really dream. Cute. And this, and it was it was his first public performance outside the church. Aww. So like, how cool is that for him? You know, that's like whenever we get to talk with people who we really admire, whether we're on their podcast or we get to interview them. That's how I feel. Like, I feel like I'm getting to hang out with my heroes, like Uh, people I really admire. Yeah. Johnny Cash also gave a nod to her, particularly in his induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, oh, wow. And how he listened to her when he was a kid. Um, Roseanne Cash, Johnny Cash's daughter, would actually go on to say in an interview that Rosetta Tharp was her dad's favorite singer. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, and like I already mentioned that she, both Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry said that she was an influence on their style of music. Aretha Franklin, Jerry Lee oh. Lewis, Isaac Hayes have all said that her, not only her singing, but her guitar playing and even her showmanship uh, influenced how they performed. Quite a few, even like international singers, uh, jazz and blues singers like George Melly, who was a, in, a singer in the UK. Like they were like, yeah, she was a huge influence on me. Tina Turner and, oh, wow. and Mahalia Jackson. Yes, of course. Um, Actually, I, ju- I looked her up on Spotify so I can go listen to her stuff later. Yep. In the fans also like section, there is Mahalia Jackson. Yep. Yeah. No, Tina Turner credits both Rosetta and Mahalia like as main influences. Mm-hmm. So, like, those are all people you'd kind of expect. But there are performers as diverse as Meatloaf, Karen Carpenter, and Neil Sedeca, who have said that uh, Rosetta uh, and her, the, the energy and rhythm in her performances really, like, influenced how they did their stuff. Like, Meatloaf! Yeah! Come on! Oh, my God! Yeah. And actually, in 2018, the singer Frank Turner, who I actually don't know who that is, he... Oh, that's why. I forgot about that. I in I have it in a sub note. <laughs> uh, he's an English punk and folk, folk singer. Okay. That's why. Because I was like, I don't know who that is. Um, but he wrote a song called Sister Rosetta, and it's about her influence and how she deserves to be in the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was released... Oh, I'm sorry. Is she not? No, she is. Oh, good. <laughs> Am I jumping ahead? It comes ahead? up, yes. Am I jumping um, the shark? You're jumping the shark. I've never heard that before. Calm down, Fonzie. The song that he wrote was released July 3rd, 2019. So that's like super recent. So there's there was in the 80s kind of a resurgence of interest in her, which is funny because it's only like 10 years after she died. Yeah. But like NPR did a bunch of like segments on her articles on her so there's actually a lot of material for me to work with which is great because i don't always get that yeah uh she has a 32 cent stamp yay we both got stamp gals right she was inducted into the blues hall of fame in 2007 in 2008 they raised funds to get her a marker for her grave because apparently she didn't have one. Oh, honey i was so happy when you told me where she was know, buried right? like at least we know where she is and now she has a marker yeah um on ja- uh, january 11th is is sister rosetta tharp day in pennsylvania uh and yeah we so they, they did put it. they did put a gravestone um on her grave and pennsylvania added a historical marker in to her home Okay. In 2011, BBC4 aired a documentary on her called Sister Rosetta Tharp, The Godmother of Rock and Roll, which is great. In 2013, the film was shown in the U.S., finally, um, as part of the PBS American Masters series, which is also great. You know, like, and then so she was listed as a nominee on the 2018 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then in she was inducted. So it's funny because he wrote that in 2019, but she was inducted in 2017. So she was one of the 2018. She's inducted as an early influencer. So I wonder if he's like, no, you should just be in the like, you shouldn't be considered an early influencer. You should just be in the rock and roll right, hall of fame. Right. I don't know. Well, I haven't I, listened to his song. I guess it kind of makes sense because maybe the people who influenced rock and roll didn't technically produce rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, because and I, I mean, obviously what rock is. and roll is kind of an amalgamation of different styles that became its own, like all music. Uh, so I, I get that. It's like you were, you were like 
pre-rock and roll. Yeah, and I rock mean... Rock and roll baby. Yeah, what do exactly. they call it? Baby Ivy? Baby, baby Ivies, rock and roll. Yep. Or little Ivies. Little Ivies. Little rock and roll. So what's kind of cool is because you can like look her up and one of the articles it leads you to is like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for her. And so what I thought was neat, and I'm really glad they did it this way, a very famous current gospel, like black gospel singer uh, sang like one of her songs in her style at the introduction of her or not the, the induction. induction. Uh, it's her name is Brittany Howard. She's part of the Alabama Shakes. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And it's, there's actually like a really neat picture of here. And so it's like a picture in the background of Rosetta and her guitar. And then it's of uh, Brittany Howard and uh, her guitar and it's like the same like they're doing like the same pose oh, and yeah. it's really moving oh and they're even both wearing white yep. that's and sweet. so yeah she she sang one of Rosetta's songs it's called that's all um during the induction ceremony Aww. and it's like uh, it's very moving yeah so what what they said and I think this is kind of neat it says in the fall of 1938 when she stepped out onto the storied stage of the Cotton Club Rosetta Tharp did what no performer sprung from the rich musical traditions of black Pentecostalism had previously dared or perhaps even imagined she presented the music of her church to a predominantly white audience in search of a Saturday night diversion, not Sunday morning deliverance. Within weeks, audience audience enthusiasm for the hymn-singing, guitar-slinging evangelist had earned her second billing to headliner Cab Calloway. It's like, so that's what they say about her in the Hall of Fame. Hymn-singing, guitar-singing... Swinging. 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 So swinging. it's hymn-swinging, guitar-slinging evangelist. Love it. But yeah, so like... I th- and I mean, she's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, so she was kind of like one of a kind. Like she she was a child prodigy of guitar and singing. And, you know, she played guitar in a time where women didn't. And it was known as a masculine thing. Like, and she was amazing. And she brought gospel music out of the church, essentially. And, you know, played some baby rock and roll. Yeah. Little... But yeah, like I, I came he- across Hebble, her pebbles and bam bam. No, I'm I'm trying to think of like, you know, pebbles are smaller rocks. And oh, like, what's yeah. a smaller roll? Is it like a saunter? A bun? <laughs> a bun? No. <laughs> a See, I'm thinking of a. I'm thinking. You're thinking of like a roll. Pebbles and buns. Pebble and bun. Yeah, I like pebble it. Pebble and bun. Um, but yeah. So sister Rosetta Tharp or That's you know Rosetta amazing. Nubbin. Yeah. So yeah, fifty eight. So she, you know, she died fairly young. But, that, yeah, that one sucks. Um, she did a lot. I love when we cover musical women because I immediately go on Spotify. I'm like, I'm going to listen to all their stuff now. So I love Peggy Lee now. Thanks yeah, I to know. you. Billie Holiday. There are a bunch yeah. of songs by her I really like. And now uh, I'm going to jam out to Sister Rosetta Tharp. Yeah, she's... I maybe I some... listened to like one or two songs. I didn't have... I haven't had a lot of ton, ton of time. I've had a lot of homework this week, but like it's moving. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I think you'll really like it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with me, Kelly. I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing May Jemison. That's what I appreciate about you. I yeah. appreciate all of you. I'm glad I finally I got I think I've only done one astronaut, but the last one made me cry. Oh yeah, that was so a... I'm glad I got to cover one that was pretty much that went in and all out of high space. notes. Yeah, cuz if if you're not aware, in a past episode, I don't remember what number, um, I covered Kalpana Chawla, 
who was the first Indian woman to go into space. And uh, I think she went on a few missions and then tragically she was uh, on the Columbia when it broke up upon re-entry. And so if you want to hear us fucking cry while I'm trying to choke out a story, right. <laughs> that's the episode. If you want to listen to us bitch cry. That one and episode 19 where I cover Ruth Coker Burks, which I'm, I'm working my way through her memoir and I've actually had to take a little break because... The whole time I'm like, I just want to give her a hug and reassure her that she's amazing and say that everyone else is a fucking asshole. Right? Goddamn doctors and nurses are saying, I don't want this patient in this hospital. I'm like, this is your job, you fucking monsters. Right. <laughs> I'm angry. Okay. Well, Kelly, what are you thinking? <laughs> you bitch! <laughs> no, I'm I'm what am I thinking? I'm just, I'm thankful. This was like a good week. And I'm thankful to um, Haley Shapley, who uh, we're going to have a special thing with her coming up. Yep. That's going to be in March in celebration of Women's History Month. Um, and for we'll you patrons, s- yes. you're going to get a very special uh, video episode on, yeah, on the same day. And seriously, guys, join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can get access to that. It was it was it's so much amazing. fun. And I honestly, like, I was really nervous about it all week just because we've never, like, every time we've done remote recording with anyone else, it's been other podcasters. Yeah. So, like, while I've been nervous about that, it's also like, okay, they they know, like, the troubles we have. Like, they do the same things we do. And, like, for this, I'm like, I've never interviewed an author. I've never you know, done anything like this before. So I was really, really nervous. And, you know, because I was like, oh, God, like, what if, like, what if I just don't know what to say? Or what if it just doesn't go as planned? Or, you know, X, Y, exactly. Yeah, there was that too. Um, You know, or yeah, what if it's like just a super awkward, like we ask a question, she answers, and then we all just sit there like stewing in it. Yeah. Which luckily (laughs) didn't happen. It was a lot of fun. And she's wonderful. But like, I don't know. I just I'm really grateful for the opportunity. And like, I just feel like this is going to be a really good year for the podcast. And I feel like there's a lot of good things coming up. And I'm just really thankful for all these opportunities. You said I go take the fucking good one, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, well, you made me go first. Well, just just for a little quick context. I know we've talked about uh, Haley Shapley a bit before, but she was kind enough to give us a couple of copies of her book strong like her which is a celebration of rule breakers and history makers and unstoppable athletes so it's like women's history through sports and athletics and it, uh, there's also a lot of like modern day uh athletes in there as well yeah yeah there's like uh, there are profiles of modern athletes and that's really fascinating but even if you're not into sports like i swam it's, growing up yeah i'm not into but sports but it's, it's super fascinating all of the issues about women's history that we touch on in these episodes in that book can be seen just through but in this lens of athletics and sports and guys if you love a good thread of your uterus falling out this is the book for you (laughs) like in it there we didn't get to talk about this in the interview but it used to be for women's health they were recommended to just like lie in hammocks because movement like i do love hammocks but not because I think it's going to keep my uterus in my body. Yeah, but like instead of exercise and diet, you were just supposed to be sedentary as a woman. I'm like, right. I mean, I wouldn't mind bringing you know, some of this back. Um, you know, unless you're taking care of children. I mean, on top of actually, not unless. Yeah. But you also have to maintain your home, please yeah. your husband, and take care of your children. Well, if you're an, a woman of the upper class, you have nannies and servants to help you maintain yes. the home. So, 
And take care of your children. Yes. <laughs> your, ch- your nannies will be your children's parents. So no Emily. wonder we're all so fucked up. Well, I didn't have nannies. Uh, I, I didn't either. Which is probably why I am fucked up. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, I love my parents. We've talked about my mother before. I love my family. Go um, ma'ams. Go ma'ams. What are you thankful for? Um, I am. Ma'ams. So I've actually had a really rough fucking week yeah we're not um, talking about that we're not talking we're about actually, it we're just skipping that that's but, why i'm like you know what i'm just gonna skip how shitty my week was <laughs> and go to what i liked about it well and i i think i think it's important to stay like i had a really rough fucking week and there were a lot of times where i'm like i'm not thankful for shit this sucks yeah but there is always something and my thing is that i reached out to my primary care provider and was basically like I'm really struggling with my depression, anxiety. I need, to to I need help. That's like, good. can you can you help me refer me? And they sent me, you know, the what is it, the PS or PH? PHQ nine and something seven. I can't remember what the other one is. But it's basically the the surveys it's, it's to like evaluate a depression your scale depression anxiety. and an anxiety scale. Yeah, the PHQ so, nine is depression. So I I filled those out, and I feel like since we've been doing the podcast, I've been joking about how I should definitely get back into therapy or explore meds again because I. I, I like I used to uh and it's like I'm finally doing it after two the other, years. the other one is gad seven okay I'm like I knew I knew there was a seven in it Kelly this is gonna be on your test tomorrow you I need probably, to know no it isn't dear god <laughs> I'm not uh, that far into my education yet. <laughs> but I I don't know I'm I'm happy that I'm taking the steps to try to address the situation before uh, You're in that deep dark hole where it's I start almost too hard having to get out of really serious consequences I'm, other I'm than I'm happy my mood. for you. Yeah, so okay, I'm happy I, about I'm that. I'm on my I need to get back on my meds because I kind of just stopped taking them because I kept forgetting. So, you know, we'll both be on the up and up soon, yes, hopefully. We will both be texting each other, house therapy, how are your meds? <laughs> and sending each other tree vagina pictures. Tree vagina. Yep. Did I tell you I saw I saw a tree the other day and I I didn't not the other day this was like back in the spring or the fall but had a great tree vagina on it and then there were these squirrels in the tree and they were literally hanging out of the tree by their back feet so they were just like full like just stretched out hanging there and I was like it's a tree with nuts. But they're just hanging there. It's too old. And I, by the time I whipped out my phone, they'd scurried off. I was like, "No one's gonna believe I saw this!" Damn it! Squirrels do weird things. They're so fucking weird. But yeah, so I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing that, and I'm happy I took that step. And I'm, I'm, hopefully things, you know, progress in a positive direction. I'm sure they will. But I am always thankful for this podcast. Just remember that you're never stuck with a therapist you go to see. Just because you go see him once does not mean you have to go back. Oh yeah, is. 100% okay Shop to go around your for therapist. therapist. It's okay you go to go to one and you're like, like, yeah, no, if you go to one and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. It is not that therapy isn't for you. I mean, if you really think therapy isn't for you, that's fine. Whatever. I'm not saying you have to go to therapy, but I am saying like, if you go and you're just like, eh, try another therapist. Yeah. It's because it could like just dating. be your therapist is not right for you. I had the best therapist for a bit before insurance like bent me over. Yeah, and me and Emily me. both had that the situation where we found like great therapists. Insurance is and such a insurance fucking was just nightmare. A bitch. But yeah, like we really clicked. I was like, this is like my soul therapist because like at the I explained all and she's like, 
I really think this, and I'm really excited to help you if you, you know you're see, okay you with that. You should like Google it and see if she's. I can't still remember around. her name. She had a really unique last name, and I can't remember it. But, but I flip used through to, your goddamn medical records. I woman. used to work with her kids at backup daycare, and then so like sometimes she'd be like. Oh, you know, my kid might have a PNRG. I'm a little worried about that. I was like, oh, no, it's really not a big deal. Lots of babies have EpiPens. Don't fucking worry. Like, I don't know. I loved her so much. She was amazing. And her kids were really cute. So. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Her Story. Wait, let's try harmonize. I actually, I don't know how to do that. Let's not. Let's just like. Let's just keep going. We we love you. No, that was bad. That was bad. Please follow us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. We have an email, whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you, whether it's women or, you know, how how's your day going or anything. Wine recommendations. If you have a book that you'd like us yeah, to read you and know. then we can talk to you because um, I'm feeling pretty confident yeah, about now we're like, Now we're like, yeah. Um, <laughs> we also have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com. We also have a Patreon, which we've mentioned. Um, you just go and you search Whining About Herstory. Join uh, us. You can join our funerary cult for as little as $1. We need to stop calling it that, though, because no, that the is... $1 level is girl gang and I know, funerary the... cult is actually the I know. We need, level. I need to rename all of our crap because we've been calling them <laughs> the cultists and that's what they are. So. Okay. I, I'll get on that eventually. <laughs> um... But for as little as $1, you can get all of our extra content. We have uh, several history happenings on there, and we're finally getting back into that, and there'll be one next month. And then we have video episodes, and now we'll have the full interview with Haley Shapley. Shapley. I was just going to say her first name, but whatever. <laughs> um, you know, and as we move forward, if we have more um, interviews with people, that it'll probably be the same format that the videos will go up on Patreon and... Um, you non-patrons that we still love um we'll get snippets don't speak for me kelly i don't love them i'm kidding i do um we also have merch on teespring if you search whining about her story we got some sweet t-shirts yeah we've been doing some new designs yeah sweet teas bra anyways we love you we love you you know what we should do we Mm. should just memorize our link tree thing and say that because like our link tree has everything tree it's like link it's like tree link forward. dot yeah, i don't even know anyway we'll figure it we'll out we'll figure it out you'll hear it maybe in the next episode also please rate us five stars wherever you listen it is hugely helpful and it is a free and warm fuzzy way for you to support the podcast seriously we absolutely love reading your comments it makes us happy yes we have we have some i'm not crying you're crying moments <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of A Whiny About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.